Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello again, everybody. We're back with another episode of La Liga Lowdown. After an eventful match day seven, we saw Real Madrid retaining top spot and high-flying Granada well, flying high and moving into second. I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and I spent the weekend in the Basque Country in the north of Spain, going along to Ibar's 2-0 victory over Celta Vigo and Athletic Club's 1-0 defeat to Valencia, their first defeat at San Mames in 18 La Liga matches and their first since October 5th of 2018. So sorry, Athletic fans, if I brought some bad luck. Truth be told, this was more about how good Valencia were as they turned in their best performance of the season despite going into the game with five starters out injured. There were a couple of Valencia fans in front of me in the stadium and I kid you not, the guy in front of me was scrolling through Twitter at one point during the second half and he spotted a tweet from our own Paco Pollock that he showed to his girlfriend. The tweet read, If they told you on Friday that Valencia are going to win 1-0 at San Mames with Manu Vallejo and Ruben Sobrino on the pitch, then you'd start checking your glass of water to see if anyone had drugged it with hyoscine to make you freak out. But don't worry folks, nobody's drugged Paco or anybody. Valencia really did pull this off and they deserved it too. There was some controversy with the Dennis Chebyshev goal as there was a very close offside call in the build-up, one which has led to another chapter in the Spanish FA's war with Media Pro, La Liga's audiovisual partner. Two images with two different VAR lines were shared on Saturday, one which showed an offside and one which didn't, so let's just say it was close. After the match, I met up with La Liga Lowdown's Bilbao-based contributor Dan Parry Here's our chat as we discussed everything apart from that offside call. So I'm here with Dan just outside Sam Mames in Posas where all the fans are drinking after the game. Fans are still happy, fans are still content, but it was a disappointing result. My ears are still ringing because Sam Mames was loud with whistles there. We won't get into the offside, onside decision because even Pythagoras wouldn't work that one out, but... Why were they so angry with the referee throughout that game? I think uh, Summers in general has a history for getting on the back of referees if they feel like the referee is being unfair to them. And I think that they quite often felt like the referee wasn't giving their due or the referee wasn't noticing uh, wasn't noticing little things that the Valencia players were doing and basic things like that, to be honest. Yeah, um, I still can't hear you, Dan, because my ears are ringing. But no, it was exciting to see Sam Ames with that atmosphere, even though it was a defeat. And their first home defeat since last October, they're still going to be great at home, aren't they? This, I mean, they played well in the second half. This isn't something to worry about, is it? Yeah, we're hoping that it's not a burst bubble. Um, 
if you look at our form over the past year, we've been pretty good at home. And, and like I've said before, historically, Atletico are a team that are strong at home. We tend to only lose against bigger clubs. It's a bit of a shame that we lost against a club that, in my opinion, is a club we should be competing with. So maybe we've lost points in in the run for European qualification. But I think generally, hopefully, this, like I said, it's not going to be a burst for when we should be fine. We've spoken about Gaisca Gary Tano before. I love what he did at Ibar. He's always a legend for getting them promoted, but he is a coach that can ride a wave of momentum, but also sort of drown under a flood of setbacks. Are you worried if this run turns into a couple of defeats in a row, maybe four matches without a win in a row? Are you worried that Gary Tano could struggle to get things right? Yeah, I mean, we, like we've said before, there's a history of that. If you look at what happened at Deportivo, La Coruña, and if you look at what happened in uh, Eibar. But I think there's a there's a good structure at Athletic Club, and there should hopefully be enough support around him. And he's got a good squad, so hopefully he should be able to do enough, even if it means making changes to, to stop any kind of slide that might occur. I mean, we've only lost one game, so you know, hopefully that won't you're happen. You're right, you're right. Let's not get carried away, and we'll see how Athletic do and how they recover. Uh, from this first setback of the season. As I mentioned, I also went along to Eibar against Celta Vigo, a match Eibar thoroughly dominated against a poor Celta Vigo side. The goals didn't come until the second half because, well, Eibar were simply waiting to score into the goal I was standing behind. So thanks, guys. First, Edu Exposito scored a kind of goal I don't think I've ever seen before. It was a lob of the goalkeeper from the edge of the six-yard box, no deflection or anything. I was standing just a few metres away from it and my thought process went from what is he doing to wait, is this going in to wow. It looked like Takashi Inui had put Iber 2-0 up, the first goal since the Japanese prodigal son returned to the club, but a handball in the build-up ruled that out. However, this only made Inui angry and you don't want to do that. Inui then won the ball in the final third moments later and set up Fabian Oriano for the second. Even with a penalty, Celta Vigo couldn't make anything happen as Iago Aspas' woeful attempt was swatted away by Marco Dimitrovic. Celta Vigo are now down in 17th with just 6 points from 7 matches and there's talk of sacking Fran Escriba. Personally, I think that's a little harsh. Celta Vigo haven't been great, but look at the fixtures they've already had to play. They've already had to face 5 of the teams who qualified for Europe last season, plus in-form Granada, and Eibar is never an easy place to go to. A little bit of patience, please, for the man who helped save the club from relegation last year. Now let's talk about Villarreal who have won three of their past five and the ones they didn't win, a 2-2 draw with Real Madrid and a 2-1 loss away at Barcelona. Not bad at all. Most recently they smashed Real Betis 5-1 and it seems that things are beginning to click. Or should we avoid getting carried away by the margin of this scoreline? Let's bring in Paco Pollitt and firstly Paco, was this 5-1 scoreline a fair reflection of the match? Actually, yes, if we pay attention to the huge second half Villarreal had. The first one was very balanced on both sides with a big Joaquin shot, which was saved by Asenjo when the score was 1-1. That penalty over Chuguete was the play of the game in my view. The way Villarreal were on the counter-offense was 
excellent, absolutely brilliant. And the fact that all of their strikers netted at least one goal to Guethe, Ekambi, Gerard Moreno with that beautiful curl finish, by the way. It was just an example of how high the spirits are right now in this team. VML seem to have settled on a 4-2-3-1 system, right? How important is it that they have a fixed and defined system? Because last season they kept changing their tactics basically every week. Yeah, they kept changing because that's exactly what happened also on their bench. Calle has started uh, last season, in came later Luis Garcia Plaza, then Calleja came back to the bench. That lack of stability also transferred into the pitch. With Santi Cazorla at the top of his game right now, these tactics are the ones that best fit this type of squad. Very open, with wide wingers like Chuguete knifing through the defense and opening spaces that Gerard Moreno can take advantage of. Also, we've seen how the team has settled with a couple of centre-backs, Albiol and Pau Torres, who perfectly combine their strengths and also diminish any weaknesses they might have. Gerard Moreno is one of those strange six goals already this season. Is there a chance he could be on the next Spain list when it comes out on October 4th? If we talk about informed players, we have to talk about him and also Loren Moron as the two Spanish strikers with the most goals scored to date. So yeah, if he got the call by Spain, it would totally be deserved. His mentality is much stronger than last year when I think he got dragged down as the whole team was struggling and he didn't manage to find that mindset that made him a powerhouse when playing for Espanyol two seasons ago. But after that one-year adaptation, I think he's one of the best scoring streaks of his whole career. With 27 years, he's on a perfect spot of maturity, both as an IQ player, a very smart player, and also as a striker. Let's move on to Levante. They took the lead through her nanny against Osasuna and ultimately drew 1-1 after former player Ruben Garcia's equaliser. If you were to define the 2019-20 Levante in three words, what would you say? Well, that one's very tough. Um, they don't defend, maybe. Again, Levante showed in the same game just how good they can be as a dominating team on the pitch with a very decent first half where they could have easily scored two or three goals and instead they went into halftime only 1-0 up. Later they showed how just awful they can actually defend by letting Rubén García sneak into the box between two defenders and score so, so easily. It's actually incredible. The Granotas are in the middle of the table with eight points with such poor performance at the back. So, so easily. Okay, Paco, I'm going to accept that as your answer. Three words on scoring against Levante. Now, Hernani has scored in two consecutive games, both early goals. Can you tell us a bit about him? Because he hardly featured at the start of the season and now he seems like he'll be a key player for them, apart from the fact that He'll be suspended next week for their six-pointer against Leganes after getting sent off. Well, about Hernani, um, watching the game this weekend made me think a few times, actually, just how such a player could be playing for Levante. Because he's fit, he's strong, he has got skills, he's a very good finisher. Just see the goal scored against Osasuna or a couple of dribbles that made the fans actually get up on their feet on the stands. But again... There's a catch. The way he got two yellows and sent off the game was absolutely unacceptable. A naughty mistake. Something no team can afford when playing top flight. Had he not seen the red card, I believe Levante could have tried to win the game. And instead, they had to suffer one man down the last 20 minutes. So, yeah, Hernani can be a key player this season 
if he doesn't make stupid mistakes as he did last Sunday. Well, that's all we've got time for in part one, but we've plenty more to sink our teeth into in part two as we discuss the Madrid derby, Sevilla and Real Sociedad's thriller, Barcelona's first away win of the season, and much more. Join us for all of that after this short pause. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown Match Day 7 recap. I'm your host, Hugh McTeer, and we're going to bring in Roman de Arcaire to talk firstly about Barcelona's first away win of the season. As they went to Hitafi and ground out a 2-0 victory, there were goals from Luis Suarez and Junior Firpo just before and just after half-time, the first of those featuring an assist from Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. I guess if he's not going to start for Germany in goals, then he's going to try to audition for the role of creative playmaker. Now let's speak to Roman and I firstly want to ask just how important was it for Barcelona to finally win away from home? Well, it's definitely an important thing for Barcelona. I mean, it's been five months since the last time they won away from the Camp Nou. And the fact that Messi just got injured again, uh, Ansu Fati got injured for the game, and so did Dembele. I mean, the players really needed this. They aren't playing well away from the Camp Nou. They didn't play well against Getafe either, but it's still a boost of confidence to get the three points, to get those two goals, and to now be able to start believing in themselves again for the upcoming games away from home. There was a headline on Marca that I really liked. It said, don't let Ansu Fati's rise eclipse the work of Carles Perez. Has Perez been under-discussed a little during this start to the season? I definitely think he has uh, been a bit underrated and eclipsed by Ansu Fati. I guess he doesn't have the backstory Ansu Fati has. He isn't 16 years old. He hasn't jumped straight uh, to the first team without playing in the B team. So 
it's not a, a spectacular story such as Ansu Fati's, but I mean, Carlos Perez has been there. He's been important in certain games. Osasuna, Betis, against Getafe, he was pretty good. So, I mean, he deserves more credit. And now, as a matter of fact, Barca just renewed his contract because they've seen that he has potential. They've seen that he's giving his 100% when he's on the field. So he's, he's an important player and he, he deserves more credit, for sure. Dembele, though, injured again. Everyone gets annoyed at him for always being injured, but... Is it really his fault? He's definitely partly to blame for this. I mean, his commitment, his attitude, it isn't at 100% when the team uh, needs that from him. And also, he's just a very injury-prone player because of his nature. But I was also really shocked when I heard Valverde say that he doesn't give physical preparation too much importance, which means that the coaches aren't really looking into this. So we can expect injuries from Messi, from Dembele, from Suarez if they aren't really focusing on such an important aspect as physical preparation. Here's some Barcelona players who don't have an assist yet this season. Dembele, Jordi Alba, Luis Suarez, Ivan Rakitic, but Ter Stegen's name isn't on that list. It's definitely surprising to see Ter Stegen having an assist before all those players you mentioned. But uh, we have to keep in mind that he's a great passer. When he's under pressure from uh, rivals attackers, he can always find one of his teammates and put the ball right onto his foot. So when he took it away from the Getafe attacker, I'm sure he knew what he wanted to do. He saw Suarez around there, put the ball in his path, and the Uruguayan knew how to finish off the job. Let's move on to Espanyol, who suffered a 2-0 loss at home against Real Valladolid. What's going on? It's not looking good for them. It's actually looking quite terrible. I mean, the team isn't finding its groove. Uh, there's no improvement to the way they're playing. And in this game against Valladolid, I mean, the Pucelanos dominated the game. And Valladolid aren't a team used to having the ball, but they had more control than an Espanyol with players such as Darder, such as Marc Roca, who's completely disappeared this season. So, I mean, Gallego is doing something completely wrong. And if he doesn't find a solution very quickly, he could certainly be leaving the club in the next few games. I'm concerned that Espanyol are so bad at home. What's the vibe and feeling around the RCDE stadium right now? The vibe is definitely terrible. I mean, they can't get these really bad results at home again and again, especially when it was supposed to be an exciting season with Europe in the mix. So the fans were expecting and are expecting much more. So we heard during the game, we heard after the game how the fans were whistling. Uh, they're not uh, happy at all. They want Gairo out, probably, because I actually spoke to one of them recently and he was telling me he'd rather lose against Valladolid so the coach would have to get sacked. So that's how bad things are at Espanyol right now. Well, thanks to Roman for that analysis. Espanyol are down there in the relegation zone with five points. Behind them are Real Mallorca on four and Leganes on two. After consecutive draws, Leganes had to go to inform Granada the weekend and they lost 1-0 to an Antonio Puertas goal. Leganes played quite well though and created a lot of chances. I don't think it's time to panic there just yet. But Real Mallorca though, I get the sense that there is more concern after they lost 2-0 to two late Alaves goals. Lucas Perez going from the spot with a quarter of an hour to go and Jocelyn adding another just before the end. Let's speak now to Mallorca-based Alex Fitzpatrick about the mood on the island. And Alex, I firstly just want to ask, how concerned are you? I have to say, this is the first point in the season where I am officially worried. I looked previously at the games that Mallorca had played. Apart from Abar on the first day of the season, which obviously they won, 
They then had a run of games against sides who now make up the top of the table. Athletic Club, Real Sociedad, Atletico Madrid, and then two away games against the teams from last season who finished fourth and fifth in the table, uh, Valencia and Hetafe. If they come away to a side like this and they can't show a little bit more of a positive uh, tactical approach, then they're not really going to do it almost anywhere else in La Liga. Is it a concern that they keep losing the weight? Mallorca are strong at home and, and equally abysmal away. They only won four away games last season, two of those against sides that were eventually relegated. And we knew prior to the season beginning that that, that form would be similar. The change that we will see, though, is obviously the standard of opposition is different and they're now playing better quality teams at Sommosh. So there's no way that we can expect their home form to be anywhere near like what it was last season. And at the minute, it looks like they will solely be relying on that home form to stay up. Uh, they're going to need between 35 and 40 points to stay in the division. That's that's 10 or more home wins, picking up a few points at home and maybe a few points away from home. They're just not going to win 10 home games in La Liga. It just will not happen. So it really is a concern for me. What about the coach's future? He just got them two promotions in a row. But we've seen in the past that there can be no loyalty in football. Is there a chance that Vicente Moreno could get fired? There's always a chance that any coach could be fired. Uh, You never know what's in the minds of the ownership group and they'll obviously always take a look at what's happening in the dressing room. Does he still have the backing of of the fans? Does he still have the backing, more importantly, of the players? I don't feel there'll be any issue over the backing of the players. I don't feel there'll be any issue over the backing of the fans. I think the potential that there is, though, for this to go sour is if you look at the starting lineup, there are very few of the players signed in the summer who are even scratching the surface of the starting 11, even making an impact or even chosen as the first selection to come off the bench. The club made nine signings in the summer. Obviously, we've seen that Kubo and Alexi Fabas are both in there. But outside of that, it's players from Segunda B, it's players from the Segunda who are still in there, and the signings just haven't scraped the surface. There was no doubt about the fact that there was tension between Vicente Moreno in the summer and Maheta Malongo. He wanted a different calibre of signing, he wanted a different profile of signing. Obviously, we understand that the wage budget is what it is. But even working within that, he wanted Maheta Malongo to be going for a different type of player. And I think when you when you consider that the club have brought in nine players, had they just brought in two or three or four, but actually two or three or four of a higher caliper, it really could have made the difference. And I think that is the melting pot which could cause the perfect storm for, for Moreno to leave, either being sacked or at some stage walking away. But it's not something the fans want to see. Um, and it's not something that I would certainly see happening this side of Christmas, just based solely on performances. Thanks, Alex. After that insight into the situation down at the bottom, let's now jump up to the top of the table and to two of the biggest matches of the weekend. <laughs> In theory, the big blockbuster match of the weekend was supposed to be the Madrid derby, but it wasn't exactly end-to-end attack and drama between Atletico and Real Madrid. I was telling everyone last week that both sides would set out not to lose 
ahead of trying to win. And that's what happened in this nil-nil draw. I've seen it described as a snooze fest, but there was still edge your seat stuff throughout for the fans of the two sides involved. We just didn't get many chances and those that were generated were cut out by Jan O'Black and by Thibaut Courtois. So, for the third season in a row, the first Madrid derby of the season finishes goalless. But it wasn't goalless in the weekend's other clash of titans, Sevilla hosted Real Sociedad as two teams who aspired to be in the hunt for Europe met on Sunday night. This was a back and forth game, packed full of drama and twists and turns, a tribute to football, Marca called it. Oyarzabal put Real Sociedad ahead but Sevilla overturned it with goals from Nolito, Ocampos and Franco Vazquez before Porto made it 3-2 to give us an extra pudding of drama in stoppage time. Matt Clark is ready to discuss this game and Matt, just how much more exciting was this than the Madrid derby? This was a much more exciting game than the Madrid derby on Saturday night. Both teams really went for it. It was an open, expansive game of football. We had five goals, but really it could have been so much more. How important do you think this victory was for Sevilla? First win at home and a really good response considering the comeback defeat they suffered on Thursday night in Ibar. You said it there, Ewan. It's a massive victory for Sevilla and Julian Lopetegui, who was starting to feel that pressure after a pretty dismal week. Well, they failed to have a single shot on target at home to Real Madrid and then capitulated to throw away that two-goal lead to then lose at Eibar, with Lopetegui himself making his feelings pretty obvious on the touchline, clearly showing the frustration of that result. Against the Flying Real Sociedad team off the back of three consecutive wins and sniffing the chance to go top of La Liga, the significance of this victory cannot be overstated, really. Yes, it should have been more really and more comfortable by the end, but they got the job done. This was a match featuring some of the best individual performers of the first two months of the season. Who stood out for you? Well, Martin Odegaard, the player on everybody's lips at the moment, he did struggle to dictate the game, to be fair, as Sevilla won the midfield battle with the physicality of Fernando and the canny guard of Eva Banega working effectively to stifle the Norwegian. But that said, he did still grab an assist by the end of the game, which takes him to two goals and two assists for the season. I have to single out Mikel Oyafabal as well. He took his goal brilliantly, his third in as many days, and he's been very productive for this side with a couple of assists as well. I'm expecting a really big season ahead for him, for club and country. For Sevilla, Lucas Acampos was impressive again, making up for their shortcomings in attack by delivering the goods when it matters. But I have to say the highlight for me has to be Jesus Navas. 34 in a couple of months, He's the captain and playing like a born-again Danny Alves, contributing assists and just running up and down that right wing all game long. Guess what, Matt? These two teams meet again in the penultimate round of the season. What do you think they'll be fighting for then? Well, that penultimate game could end up being a huge winner-takes-all playoff, couldn't it? In terms of quality, I expect both of these teams to be right in the mix for European qualification and perhaps even fourth place itself. Um, I mean, Sevilla, they'll hope to have the distraction at the business end of the Europa League, which could have a detrimental effect on their league form with the, uh, the toll of a lot of games. Uh, for me, though, there is a problem they will need to address, their strikers. They've tried a few combinations, but it isn't working with their new signings, especially poor old Luke de Jong, who is yet to score for them. My question is, where is Munoz Dabur? He was prolific for Salzburg last season, but we've barely seen anything of him. Just four minutes in the Europa League. Surely he's worth a try. Unless there are some problems that we're unaware of, but I would like to see what he can do. As for El Sociedad, they seem to be a more balanced, youthful outfit who will take on anyone in the division and give them a game. And they can afford to put all their eggs into the La Liga basket. So at this stage, I'll give them the slight edge over Sevilla. Well, thank you, Matt, and also thanks to all our other contributors Dan Barry, Paco Pollitt, Blumen de Arker, and Alex Fitzpatrick. 
I'm Ian McTeer and I've been your host and we'll be back next Monday with our Match Day 8 recap, while on Thursday we'll have a midweek podcast taking an in-depth look at a particular Spanish football story. We hope you'll listen to us then, but firstly, thanks for listening to us now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.